You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Amen. Praise God. Okay, come on, time's up. Come on, sit down. <laughs> Praise God. Look, it's an absolute joy to be with you this morning here at Grace. It, it really is. And a wonderful time of worship. Really enjoyed it. You know, worship is transformational. I truly believe that. I believe worship just transforms us and restores us. You know, just uh, the last few days, um, I, w- I was laid up in bed last week. I had COVID, so I was in bed uh, self-isolating. And I was reading about uh, the sons of Korah. Because Korah was a guy in the book of Numbers who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. So much so that his name became a byword for rebellion among Israel. And he and the rebels that tried to come against Moses and Aaron were wiped out by the Lord. And yet there were some descendants of Korah that were left alive. Little children that were too young to know what was going on, had no part in his sin. And one of the descendants that came forth from their children, that must have been difficult growing up as a son of Korah. You know, it'd be like in Christian saying, I'm a descendant of Judas Iscariot. It'd be something like that. And, you know, you'd really, nobody would want, nobody would want you know, when you're a young man and you go and say, I want to marry this girl, the father says, you're one of those sons of Korah. No way. But there was one guy called Elkanah. And he was a son of Korah, a child, a descendant of Korah. And he found a wife. He found a wife called Hannah. And uh, she prayed in the temple because they couldn't conceive a child. And God gave them a child. And then that child grew up. Uh, grew, grew up in the tabernacle with the high priest Eli and hearing the word of the Lord. And that child became the prophet Samuel. God restored in that atmosphere of worship in the tabernacle. God restored even to a son of Korah, a place of grace and a place of, 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 of mercy and praise. But then later on we're told that the sons of Korah, more descendants of Korah, at the time of David were the doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. They were basically the caretakers. They, they cleaned the place and, you know, did all the donkey work and everything else. And yet, you know what happened? Those sons of Korah, because David set up a, a nonstop 24-7 praise and worship in the temple, those sons of Korah were hearing worship all the time. And I want to tell you, when you're in an atmosphere of worship, it changes everything. And they ended up writing songs. Not just any songs. There's 11 of the Psalms in, the, in our Bible that were written by the sons of Korah. And they're amazing psalms. And these despised descendants of a rebel ended up becoming like the, the Jesus culture or hill songs of ancient Israel. And you look at some of the psalms they wrote. We still sing them today as, as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you. Our God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in times in trouble. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. The city of our God, the holy place. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. You know, all of these, they they wrote these. And God took the descendants of the rebel that had the job as being caretakers in in the tabernacle and turned them into a powerful force for leading the people into a deeper sense of praise. Isn't that remarkable? And my testimony today is I'm a son of Korah. I mean, I was far, far from God, like many of you, far, far from God. And I didn't come from a Christian family. You know, I, I was in a dreadful place, but Jesus saved me. And Jesus turned my life around. 
and just living with him and living in his presence and living in an atmosphere of worship and prayer is absolutely glorious. Amen? Yeah. Praise God. You know, um, since I was here last, I've become a grandfather. And uh, just, uh, just earlier this year, we were at a family meal and we're all around the table and loads of family members, and there's my, at, at the time, she was nine months old, my granddaughter. And, if you've, and she was feeding herself. If you've ever watched a nine-month-old baby feeding themselves, it's messy, you know? I mean, there's food everywhere. There's food in her hair. There's food landing on everybody else, and she's having a great time. And I looked around the table, and everybody in that room is just looking at my granddaughter, little Nisha, just looking at her with absolute, unalloyed, 100% love. And I, I turned to Janice beside me, and I says, can you imagine how great that is for that little child? Because not every, not every baby grows up with this experience of just being surrounded by total love. Not because of anything she's done or anything else, just loving her because, because that's what we do. We love a child. We love a grandchild. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing to be, know that you were surrounded with unconditional love all the time? And about an hour later, we're on our way home, and the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord said something to me. He said before, and he's said it since, you big dope. God says that to me. And, you know, he always says it with a Northern Irish accent. Yeah, big dope. You are surrounded by unconditional love. And I just had to repent and say, Lord, I spoke foolishly. Because we are, because God is love. That's what scripture says. Love is not what God does. Love is who he is. And we are surrounded by this unconditional love, just like my granddaughter was. You know, she's making a mess. The only, uh, uh, the only person who was really benefiting from the mess was the dog underneath the table. The dog loves to sit under my granddaughter's high chair at mealtimes. And uh, just pure love. And that's where we're at with God. No matter what we do, no matter where we go, God loves us with an unbreakable love. Isn't that incredible? But, but then there's a deeper love because there's two words for love in, in the Old Testament, two Hebrew words, ahava and chesed. Now, with Hebrew, to pronounce Hebrew properly, you've got to sound like you're clearing your throat. So it's ahava. And chesed, because I had COVID last week, I've got the best Hebrew accent I've ever had. So, Ahava is that love that God is love. It's the love that he extends to everybody, whether they know Jesus or not. But the other kind of love that it mentions, chesed, that's God's covenant love. And that's a special love. And this is just mind-blowing for me, this 100% pure, unconditional love that we're surrounded with all the time. God has another love that's even greater than that. And that's directed at us as God's people. It's his covenant love for his covenant people. Uh, it's the love that Psalm 23 verse 6 speaks about when we say, surely goodness and mercy, and the word mercy there is chesed, God's covenant love. Surely goodness and God's covenant love shall follow me all the days of my life. You don't have to run after the love of God. God's love runs after you. You don't have to do anything to earn God's covenant love. It's running after you. It's pursuing you. You ever sing that chorus? Your goodness is running after, running after me. That's God's chesed. That's God's covenant love. It's chasing after us and pursuing us. And it's, it's not a love that everybody has. 
We, we know that because uh, it's in Genesis. If you, if, in the book of Genesis, you ever read that occasion where the angels went to Sodom and rescued Lot? Yeah. And uh, that just amazes me because Lot did not deserve to be rescued. I mean, Lot was a real rat bag. He really was. He was lazy. He was selfish. He, he was actually totally couldn't care less about his daughters, was willing to put them in harm's way just to protect his own reputation. Lot was, Lot was not, we would say, a righteous person. And yet the New Testament describes him as righteous Lot. And the reason he's described as righteous is because he was one of God's covenant people. Because God had made a covenant with Abraham. And Lot was Abraham's nephew. And it actually says in Genesis that when the angels came, Lot acknowledges it is because of God's hesed, God's covenant love. He did not deserve to be rescued from Sodom, uh, yet God rescued him anyway because he was one of God's covenant people by virtue of his relationship to Abraham. And we see that going down through the Old Testament, this wonderful love, and it's an incredible love. You know, in Exodus, whenever God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and then when he gave the commandments again, because before Moses even came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, Aaron and the Israelites had already started breaking them. And so Moses had to go, broke the tablets and had to go and get them again. And when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he said this, he said, I will punish sin and iniquity up to the third and fourth generation. But for those who I love, and it's Hesed, the covenant love, God says, I will love them for a thousand generations. A thousand generations. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever thought about how long that is? A thousand generations is a long, long time. God gave Moses a promise for a thousand generations. Let me just digress here for a moment. Have you ever wondered why it is that God showed such amazing mercy and grace to Israel? When Israel repeatedly messed up and God still, his loving kindness, pursued them and ran after them. And even when we get down to Jesus, even when we get down to Jesus, we have, uh, we have Pilate, this rough, crude uh, Roman official, washing his hands so that he's not guilty of the blood of Jesus. And the Jewish religious leaders, what are they saying? Let his blood be upon us and upon our children's children. And God didn't answer that prayer. Because Jesus on the cross uttered a greater prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, God, how could God show such mercy and grace to people that would be like that about his son? And how, how could it be that the, the Jewish people could be without a homeland, without a nation for centuries, and God still preserved them, and God still kept them? How can that be? Not because they deserved it, because they didn't. God promised Moses his loving kindness would follow him and his descendants for a thousand generations. Now, a generation, scholars disagree about whether it's 20 years or 40 years. So we'll cut the difference, say 30 if we say a generation was 30 years long, do you know how many generations have passed from the time of Moses until now? About 110. Just think about that. Moses was a long time ago. Yet we're only 11% of the way into God's promise of everlasting love for a thousand generations. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's like when you check the battery on your phone and you've still got 89%. <laughs> Moses has only used up 11% of his battery of chesed. 
That's absolutely, that's better than those old Nokia phones, isn't it? That's incredible. And this, this is actually, you see, this love, this covenant love, this chesed love that pursued God's people and is still pursuing them today and, of course, pursues us because since the New Testament, we come, become God's covenant people by faith, by receiving Jesus. And, and that's what we've just been celebrating now. This communion meal, it's all about declaring we're God's covenant people. His goodness is running after us. His mercy is pursuing us. His love that extends to a thousand generations is upon us now today. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know, actually, this is why in the Old Testament, idolatry was the greatest sin. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, because the Israelites did lots of things that were bad. They committed murder. There's some of the kings offered their own sons as human sacrifices in the fire. I mean, there was all kinds of uh, uh, treachery, assassinations. There was child abuse. There was all the stuff that goes on. And yet the one thing that the Bible picks up on again and again as their greatest sin is idolatry. And here's the reason why. Because the one thing that would take them out of their status as being God's chosen people was idolatry. Because the central thing about Israel was they worshipped one God. The, the prayer that they were taught to pray every day was the Shema. Shema. Hear, O Lord, uh, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, there is one God. And when you stepped into idolatry, they were stepping out of their status as God's chosen people. And that's why idolatry is so wicked in the sight of God. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. Lots of other things. Idolatry is not even against the law in Ireland. You, you can go and worship an idol, no problem. It's perfectly legal. Lots of things we have that we consider far worse. But for the Jewish people, idolatry was the worst sin because it was stepping out of their status as God's covenant people. That's why if you ever read in the New Testament, the Bible saying about something that people who do such things have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, you want to wake up and pay attention to that because <laughs> we need to stay as God's covenant people. But when we're God's covenant people, this chesed, this everlasting love is pursuing us, is running after us. And then there's something even more wonderful in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it's this. That not only do we receive this chesed, this amazing love, even greater than the love that the world receives when it says God is love, there's an even greater love that we receive as God's covenant people. Not only do we receive that to God, but we can actually show that to one another. Because in Scripture, chesed, covenant love, is not only from God to people, but it's from people to people. And we see it with David. You know, David swore... Uh, a covenant of friendship and brotherly love with Jonathan. And here's the amazing thing. That love was stronger than death. You ever, you ever sing that chorus that speaks about love being stronger than the grave? That's from the Song of Solomon. You see, God's chesed love is stronger than death itself. It goes beyond death. God's covenant love is stronger than the love of marriage. Whenever we, whenever, whenever we conduct a, a marriage service, we always say, have the vows, and you say, till death us do part. But God's covenant love, the covenant extends beyond death. And so even though Jonathan was now dead, David said, is there somebody of Jonathan's household that I can bless for his sake? And they said there was one guy, and I've written the name down because I've been practicing this all morning. Mephibosheth. That's quite a name, isn't it? Try saying that five times quickly. Mephibosheth. 
Mephibosheth. I want to tell you, prospective parents here, we've been talking about conceiving children. Do not name your child Mephibosheth. Because you'll be calling them for to come into tea. You'll say, okay, their tea will be cold by the time they know it's ready. But David showed kindness, covenant love. That's the word that's used, chesed, for Jonathan's sake. Ruth swore a covenant of loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law. It lasted beyond the death of Ruth's husband. And Boaz said, you have shown chesed to Naomi by what you've done. God's covenant love. We can show it to one another. That's why Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says that we are to do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. Because we're to have love to all. We're to have God's havav to all, but we're to show chesed to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we share God's covenant love. Now, there's, you know what? We could wrap it up there and we'd, we'd go home knowing that we've really been blessed because we've, we've got this incredible love from God that pursues us and chases after us. But there's one more thing about God's covenant love. And this is what is just so amazing and so mind-blowing. God's covenant love takes the evil stuff that happens to us and transforms it into good. That's the greatest thing about God's covenant love, his chesed. We see this back in Genesis Whenever Joseph had been betrayed, he had been sold into slavery by his brothers. He had ended up uh, spending years in an Egyptian jail. He'd been falsely accused of rape. He's had all this horrible stuff has happened in his life. And then whenever his father Jacob finally dies, and the brothers think now maybe Joseph is going to really get his own back on us, he said, don't worry. He said, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, that doesn't mean God wanted these things to happen. It doesn't mean that God was looking at Joseph as a little baby and saying, Ah, oh, Joseph, oh, wait till I have you in an Egyptian prison. Wait till I have you as a slave in Potiphar's household. No, God didn't make those things happen. It was the wicked brothers that made them happen. But God took them and turned them into blessing. Because that's what his covenant love does. And, and we see that down again. We see it with Balaam. Whenever Balaam was hired to curse the Israelites, and you know the story, he stood up on the mountain looking down at the Israelites in the valley, and he tried to speak out a curse, and a blessing came out of his mouth instead. Because God turns curses into blessings. That's his covenant love. We see it in the story of Esther. Whenever Esther was... A, uh, Esther was in a dreadful situation. Now listen, I've heard preachers talking about the story of Esther like it's an Old Testament love story between Esther and the king. It wasn't. The king of Persia was a monster, a moral monster. We know from history that what he used to do, if anybody didn't do exactly what the king wanted, he had them impaled on sharpened stakes put up through their rear end. That's the kind of man he was. His previous queen, Vashti, he, when he was drunk with his mates, he tried to get her to do a drunken strip, uh, to do a striptease for his friends. And when she refused to do so, she was removed from the throne, which meant he had an empty place in his harem. And so he got all the young women of the kingdom to do, to, to come and do a provocative walk in front of him. And so he would choose one to fill the empty slot in his harem. And here's Esther, a Jewish girl who's been enslaved, who's been people trafficked, who stands for everything that I fight against in my life. 
and she's chosen. And then there's a crisis in the kingdom, and they're going to kill the Jews. And Esther's uncle, Mordecai, says, well, who knows, but you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If I had been Esther, I would have slapped him across the face. Who knows that I've come? Do you know for Esther what coming to the kingdom was? It was being trafficked as a slave, as an object. It meant being put in a harem. And if the king gave word and decided he wanted her this night, she had to go to him and service him. That was what Esther coming to the kingdom was all about. And Mordecai says, who knows, but you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Why? Because God took all of the horrible stuff that was done to Esther and God turned it around for the salvation of a people. And to this day, the Jewish people celebrate Purim to remember Esther and how she had the courage to risk death in order to intercede for the Jewish people. Isn't that incredible? That's chesed. That's God's covenant love. Taking all the stuff that is horrible in our lives and turning it around for blessing. And the fullest expression of this Hesed love, the fullest expression of God taking all the rotten stuff that has ever happened to you, me, or anybody else, and turning it around for good, is when Jesus was on the cross. Let me just read to you a few verses from, just three verses from Colossians and chapter 2. So this is Colossians chapter 2. Verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Listen to this next bit. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he took everything horrible that you've ever lived through. Every time that you were betrayed, every time you were let down, every time you were lied to, every time you messed up, every time you betrayed somebody else, the things that you're most ashamed of, Jesus took it all on the cross. Not, and, and yes, he paid the price for it. I know we say that all the time. But the Bible says he more than paid the price over it. He triumphed over it. He disarmed the enemy. When you disarm an enemy, that means they can't bring those weapons out anymore. They're gone. They're used. They're done. And what happened was this. When Jesus was on that cross, the powers of evil had an unparalleled opportunity in all of their wicked hatred towards God, they now had the incarnate Son of God and they were free to attack him with all of their big guns. And they poured everything out on him on that cross. And so Jesus took it all. You know, the devil is the accuser. And the way he often accuses is by saying, why did God allow that to happen? Have you, have you ever known, known that feeling? I remember years ago holding in my arms my dead child. And it's like a voice saying to me, why did God allow this to happen? How can you follow him now? Because that's how the accuser works. And Jesus took all of that upon himself on the cross. All the slavery of Egypt, all the suffering of the Israelites when they were whipped, when they were even murdered and abused by their overseers. 400 years of slavery. 
and Jesus took it all. Those evil forces brought all those accusations out, all the millions of times that Israelites throughout those 400 years had said, God doesn't care, God's not fair. All of that was thrown upon Jesus on the cross, and he disarmed the enemy. All the horrors of Israel's idolatry, including sacrificing their children in the fire, all those accusations came at him. Jesus took it all on the cross. He disarmed the enemy. All the wrongs that have been committed throughout the history of Israel, right up to the time of Jesus, all the murders, all the rapes, the horrors of the Babylonians coming and destroying Jerusalem when they picked up Hebrew babies by their heels and swung them and dashed their brains out against the stones that constructed the holy temple. Something so traumatic that the Jews actually wrote a psalm where they fantasized about doing the same thing back to the Babylonians. And Jesus took all of that on the cross. All the tortures, all the executions, and all the things that have happened since then. All the stuff that happened down the years with the Inquisition, with racist lynchings, with the Holocaust, with innocent children that died in Hiroshima, with what happened in Bloody Sunday up in the north, with the gulags of Stalin and the other Soviet leaders of Chairman Mao's cultural revolution when over 40 million people were murdered, of 9-11, of all the instances of child abuse, the Rwandan genocide, and even what's happening right now in parts of Eastern Europe. Jesus took it all on the cross. Five weeks ago, I was in Krakow, Poland. I was at a conference of leaders of different national evangelical alliances and different relief organizations, meeting with a lot of Ukrainian pastors, trying to formulate a joint and coherent response from all the different born-again Christians in, in Europe to try and more effectively meet the needs of what's happening with the refugees coming out of Ukraine. And at the end of the last session, they got us to split up and just find somebody in that room and pray for them. And I was just led to go to this chap, just a bit smaller than me, a bit younger with a beard, and I went and got talking with him and said, can I pray for you? And his name was Volodymyr. He was a pastor from Buka. Buka is the region in Kiev where there's been so many human rights abuses have taken place. And Volodymyr wept as he told me that he teaches in a Bible college and the dean of his Bible college was executed in Buka. And his youth pastor was executed in Buka. They were forced to kneel down, shot through the head. And there's actually, I've seen the video. I've seen the video. It's, it's, it's out there on, on social media. I've seen, not of them being killed, but of these men being led across a road, taken to the, to, to the field where they were going to be shot dead. And his dean of his Bible college and his youth pastor are on that video being, being led there. They were killed and murdered by Russian soldiers because of their commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. And as I prayed with Vladimir, and he, he was just weeping and weeping, and I was weeping as well. And we just prayed together. And we found ourselves thanking God that on the cross, Jesus took all of what happened in Buka and all of this other stuff, all because it's just the latest in a long, long, long line of man's inhumanity to man. And Jesus took it all upon himself on the cross, and he disarmed the enemy. Isn't that incredible? He disarmed the enemy. It's like the most powerful, you can, you can imagine an enemy that's got the most powerful army that's ever been assembled, and it's now disarmed because Jesus took it all upon the cross, because that's his covenant love. 
And I want to tell you, I look back at the things that have happened in my life and there's been stuff that's happened in my life and I've said, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? But I know that God's covenant love turns the curse into a blessing. And I know that God, it's not just that God makes me feel better about it, but God literally turns the curse into a blessing. That I believe today I am more blessed because of the curses that came against me. I'm more blessed because of the hurt that I suffered. Because our God, in some incredible way that we can probably never begin to understand, his covenant love takes all of our pain and all of our hurt and all of our grief and turns it into something incredibly beautiful for his name's sake. And that's his covenant love. And you know what? You might say, well, I, I don't want that. Well, I want to tell you, it's running after you. It's running after you. You can't escape it. You're, you're a child of God. You're in the covenant. And his covenant love is chasing after you. And I want to pray now, because I know there's people here who are carrying hurts. And, and I'm aware, I've been, I've been really trying to tread carefully in what I'm saying, because I'm aware I'm standing on holy ground. And there may be even people saying, you know what, I don't even want to think about the stuff that happened to me. But I believe today, God does want you to think about it. And God wants to tell you that on the cross, Jesus took that stuff upon himself. And he disarmed the principalities and the powers so you can walk in freedom, and you can walk in blessing, and you can walk in grace, and his goodness can keep running after you. And if you've never entered into the place where you've received that covenant love by, by accepting Jesus as your Savior, you need to do that today. You need to do that before you go out through that door and allow the love, covenant love of Jesus to be released in your life. Can I ask you just to stand to our feet, please? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that the more we look at the love of God, the more amazing it is. Thank you that the more we look at the cross, the more incredible it is. And I thank you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the hesed, the covenant love of God running after us now, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we know sometimes we come to church and people say to us, forget about your problems. But right now, Lord, we think about our problems. And we think about our hurts. And we think about the pains. And I know that some of us, like Esther, have, we're, we're here and we're glad we're here, but it's been an awful path to get here. But Lord, in Jesus' name, may your hesed, your covenant love, take our pain, take our hurt, take all those feelings of guilt and shame and betrayal, and transform it into something beautiful in Jesus' name. Th thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who transforms and changes. And I declare today, your goodness is running after. Your goodness is running after us. And surely goodness and mercy, hesed, shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and forever. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Nick. Can we give it up for Nick? Wow, praise God. What a fabulous message. The lads are going to play us out with the song, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Let's just sing one verse and chorus of that, and then we'll close in prayer. Amen. Let's go for it. John. Your love, O Lord. Reaches to the heaven 
will chase us all the days of our life let's pray that it will pursue us this coming week how's about that let's start off at the short term Father in heaven we commit Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday Lord we pray that not only would we be conscious of but we would experience and would know your love and mercy pursuing us all of this coming week we commit ourselves our homes our families our situations into our hands Lord we pray that we would see you at work this week Lord we commit all the work of our lives we commit the work of this church we commit the work of our families into your hands would you go with us would you bless us would you protect us would you lead us into this week we pray in Jesus mighty name and God's people said amen Amen. praise God praise God we're going to go down to the courtyard coffee being served downstairs the guys are going to play us out God bless you and go with you and we'll see you during the week if you've got kids or next Sunday by God's grace John